Uh, we are beginning a new series. We started it two weeks ago, uh, got right into the, this letter that Paul is writing to uh, Ephesus, the churches in Ephesus, is not just one church, it's several churches around the area there, and uh, so we got into his introduction, and now we're going to start into the beginning of his letter this morning, and as we get started, let me ask you a question, have you ever been blessed? Have you ever had someone uh, bless you? Uh, have you ever experienced that in your life? I would say most of us in here would probably say, yes, I have experienced the wonderful blessings of others in my life. And I don't know about you, I really enjoy when someone blesses me, right? You enjoy being blessed, right? But I tell you what, I really get the greatest joy in my life when I get an opportunity to bless others. Have you experienced that? When you get to help someone, when you get to bring happiness and joy into someone else's life, that is such a great experience. And I want to ask you this morning, are you aware, did you know or do you know, I hope you do, that this is exactly how God feels towards us? God loves to bless His children. God loves to bring His blessings upon us. And this is the subject that the Apostle Paul is going to deal with here at the beginning of his letter. Two weeks ago, we began this new series, um, and we saw that the, this letter that Paul wrote to the Christians in Ephesus, and we worked through the greeting and laid the foundation of this study. And today, we're moving into this subject that Paul wants to deal with. Now, I want to bring your remembrance back to the fact of where Paul is. Paul is in prison. He is under house arrest. He is in prison simply because he is a Christian. He is a follower of Jesus and he preaches the gospel. It's not that he caused riots. It's not that he did anything bad. It's not that he broke the law. That was it. Those were the charges that were against him. And he is on death row getting ready to die for his belief in Jesus Christ. And interestingly enough, he decides to write a letter about how God is blessing him and other believers. Do you think that would be on the top of your list if you were on death row? I might be send a spoon or send some, some, some filing things while you're right, you know? Help me get out of here uh, for this. No, Paul's writing about this subject of being blessed. And so if you recall last or two weeks ago when we looked at this, uh, we looked specifically at the key phrase that Paul uses in this letter over and over again. Over 20 times he uses this term, in Christ, or we'll see today, in Him, same thing, in Christ, or in Christ Jesus. And we define this term as a person who has placed their faith and trust in Jesus Christ. A person that has accepted Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior is, Paul would refer to, being in Christ. This is the position of the believer. Positionally, this is where we stand if we have a relationship with Jesus Christ. And so Paul begins this letter going into this letter talking about how we are blessed because we are in Christ. He wants to give us several blessings because of our position of being in Christ. So Paul starts off this section here in verse number three, and let's look at it together. He says, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places. Well, Paul starts off at a really great place. He starts off by blessing God. 
praising God for who He is. That's a great place to start. But more importantly than that, Paul wants to bring out a specific reason why he is praising God. He is praising God because, listen, that we who are in Christ are blessed with every spiritual blessing from God. If you are in Christ today, if you have accepted Him as your Lord and Savior, then you have been blessed with every spiritual blessing from God. God is up in heaven looking at you going, I just want to bless you. I'm excited to bless you. As my child, I want to be a blessing to you. I want you to be blessed. And Paul specifically says this is for those who are in Christ. So those of us who are saved, those of us who have a relationship with God, through Jesus Christ, receive the blessings of our Heavenly Fathers. Those of you that are fathers, isn't it fun to bless your children? Isn't it fun to just give your children something, not because they earned it, not because they did anything for it, but you just bless them because you want to bless them? I do this with candy with, with my kids. Oh, some of you know where I'm going. <laughs> right? I bless them so they can learn how to be a blessing back, right? Amen. We're going to talk about that a little more as we get, we get going. But Paul, uh, what he's doing here for us is those who have placed their faith and trust in Jesus Christ, Paul is going to pull back the cover and reveal for us all of the tremendous blessings that we receive because we are in Christ. In other words, have you ever just received a gift Sure we have. Christmas, birthdays, just for whatever reason we receive a gift. And when you get that gift, you're excited for getting that gift because, hey, it's a gift, right? But how many times have you ever had a situation where you received a gift and then someone told you the backstory of what it took them to get that gift to you? And when you recognize what they went through, the sacrifice they went through to get that gift to you, that gift was more precious, more valuable than you could ever imagine. That's exactly what Paul is doing here to recognize and to show us exactly what God did to give us this gift and the blessings that we have as a result of it. And what he's going to do in this first part of this letter, we're going to look at this week, next week, uh, and the uh, third week, is that he breaks it up into three sections of the blessings that we receive. The blessings from the Father, the blessings from the Son, and the blessings from the Holy Spirit. We're going to see today the selection of the Father, next week the sacrifice of the Son, and the third week, the sealing of the Holy Spirit, all the way through to verse number 14. Now, here's a fun fact for you. And I love this because my professors in school would hate when I did this. It was not proper. But if the Apostle Paul can do it, right, can, can we do it too? Verse 3 through 14, the Apostle Paul writes it in one complex sentence. Right? He just starts writing. And he, I don't know if he put his punctuation in. I don't know if he put uh, conjunctions in there. I don't know what he did, but he, he gets so excited about the blessings of God that he can't stop writing and there's no punctuation in there. Uh, that's how I try to turn in all my papers at school. Why worry about those silly punctuations? Who needs them, right? You know, they didn't really like it when I did that, but that's what Paul did. And I said, hey, if Paul can do it, I can do it. So they never bought that either, so... So today we're going to focus on the blessings that our Heavenly Father 
has for us. And so let's unpack them. There's two main blessings here that I want you to see today, that you are blessed if you are in Christ. We're going to pick up again in verse number three and read through verse number four for context. This is blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places, even as He chose us in Him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and blameless before Him. So Paul starts with this first blessing, and Paul gives us a tremendous blessing here. This is one that is just literally mind-boggling of a blessing. It is so tremendous that, quite honestly, we struggle in comprehending this blessing. This is such a big blessing. Paul tells those of us who are in Christ, those who have accepted Christ as Lord and Savior, that the blessing of you choosing Christ is that the Father first chose you. The blessing of you choosing Christ is that the Father first chose you. Now, this is called the doctrine of election. You may have heard that term if you've been around church circles or or, or anything like that. This is the doctrine of election. And unfortunately, this doctrine has been a point of contention in Christian circles forever. I mean forever. Uh, The whole idea of this. And the the fact of the matter is is what we need to understand and what we're going to look at here very briefly is that we need to understand that this is so difficult. And the reason why it's so difficult for us is because election is God's part of salvation. Okay, you need to understand that. This is what God does in the area of salvation. And the reality is, is that as humans, we are too finite to understand what God does in this side of salvation. All right? I mean, the reality is that if we can fully understand God, we don't serve a big God. Amen? And so this is one of those realities that we need to understand. But what does this mean for us? It's in the Scriptures. We need to understand it. There are two sides to salvation, God's side and ours. God, in His sovereignty, chooses those who are saved. That's God's side. Man, in His free will, chooses the gift of salvation paid for by Christ's death and resurrection. Both sides are clearly taught in Scripture. They're both plainly taught in the Word of God. And therein lies the struggle. Here's the question. How do we reconcile these two truths? How do we reconcile God's sovereignty on one end and man's free will on the other hand? Are you ready? I'm going to blow your minds. We can't. We can't. (laughs) This is what we call a God thing, right? And I don't know how it all works out, so let's pray and go home. No, I'm, no, I've got more, I promise. There have been two primary solutions, two prim- there's been more, many more, but there's been two primary solutions that have come from this struggle to understand this doctrine. The first group limits God's sovereignty. This other group limits man's free will. But as I said already, you can't do either because both are freely taught in the Scripture. So what do we do with this doctrine? And the reality is, is we do nothing with this doctrine because God has no problem reconciling the two. None whatsoever. He knows exactly how to take care of this, and this is in Him. And I believe that every attempt that man makes to try to figure this out falls 
short of what he wants here. So uh, the reality is, is that there are simply things that we must hold to by faith and understand that God has in complete control. So if you thought, looking at this passage before you came today, I was going to explain to you sovereignty versus man's free will, you are disappointed. I'm sorry. All right? But there's one thing I can tell you about this doctrine. There's one thing that I can know for sure, because the question is, if this is so hard to understand, how in the world can it be a blessing? How can it be a blessing in my life? Well, here's the one thing that we can take from this tremendous doctrine that we can know for sure. Listen carefully. Before you were ever created, God had a plan to save you. That's what this is about. What this is about is that God has a plan for salvation. That's why if you've ever heard me talk about salvation, I have used terminology like God comes after you. God comes for you. The Christian God, the biblical God, the only God, this God made the plan before he ever created the universe that knowing what man would do, that God would have a way of making sure you were saved. That's tremendous. That's a blessing because you know what? God had every right and has every right to say, hey, you know what? You messed up. That's on you. I'm done. And we'd all be in hell right now. But God has a plan. So the best way I can illustrate this to you is the best way that it was given to me to illustrate it to you. So if I can put it this way, how does this look for us today? Uh, I would put it this way. Imagine that there's a door in front of you, and you don't have to imagine because I've got it on a slide for you. If you put it up on the slide, there's a door. It's a red door because the Bible tells us the only way for us to come to the Father is through the shed blood of Jesus Christ. Okay? And the door over the door says, whosoever will may come. That's our side of the door. That's the side that we know. If you uh, hear the preaching of the Word of God and you're willing to repent of your sin and put your faith and trust in Jesus Christ and be saved and have Him be Lord of your life, you come to that door and you walk through that door. And so that's our side. That's our picture. That's giving the gospel and being saved. And then when we walk through the door, if you'll go to the next slide and we turn around and we walk through the door, it says the elect of God which means that God has chosen us. That's the only way we can understand this, is the idea that those of us who are in Christ are chosen of God. And that's, for us, we sit there and we go, wow, that's kind of hard. But you know what it means? Are you ready? It means that God wants you. Isn't that good? That the God of the universe wants you. He wants you. Even though we're the ones that said no, even though we're the ones that sinned, even though we're the ones that shook our fist in the face of God, even though we're the ones that are the sinners, God says, I still make a way because I still love you and I want you. Therefore, since we are not God, nor can we understand God's side of this equation, here's what we must do. Listen carefully, church. This is our responsibility. We must consider every person lost with the ability to be saved. We must present the gospel to them because without it, they will go to hell. We must give them the chance and the choice to respond to the gospel message. If they do, then they're saved and they're God's elect. If they don't, guess what? We give it to them again. 
and we continue to give it to Him. Because why? God is the one that does the saving. God is the one that is in charge of salvation. In other words, we are in charge of sharing the gospel truth. God is in control of saving. And the Bible tells us that God is not willing that any should perish. But here's the key, church. Without the sharing, there can be no saving. Because that's God's plan. That's God's plan. So Paul tells us that as a result of salvation, uh, and as a result of this, we see here the second blessing that he gives us is that we are made holy and blameless. This term, holy and blameless, is the idea of justification. That's the big doctrinal word for it. And it means that we are completely forgiven of our sins. When we come through the door and we accept God, we accept Jesus Christ as our Lord and Savior to to get us to the Father, we are justified. And the word justified literally means just as if we had not sinned. Isn't that good? Meaning this, that through the shed blood of Jesus Christ, the washing of our sins away through His shed blood, God looks at us as if we have never sinned. Now, unfortunately, this does not mean that we will never sin again because we know we do. However, it does mean that we have access to heaven and to God. Paul, writing his letter to the Romans, puts it this way. He says these words, There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. You see, he used the same term right there, those who are in Christ Jesus. If you are in Christ Jesus, you have the security of knowing that heaven is your home because sin no longer has power to send you there again. Are you getting the blessing? Are you excited about that? Sin may hinder our fellowship, but it can never send us to hell again. And although we'll never ever conquer sin, That power is broken because of the shed blood of Jesus Christ. And so now we move into this last thing that Paul has for us, this great truth he builds upon now, this idea of God choosing us. And in verse number 5 and 6, he carries on and says, In love he predestined us for adoption to himself as sons through Jesus Christ, according to the purpose of his will, to the praise of his glorious grace, with which he has blessed us in the beloved. The second great blessing, as we well, maybe the third, as we count justification as the second, there is that Paul shows us our adoption. Now, it's very important that we understand this word adoption because adoption here is a little bit different than what we understand adoption. When we think of adoption, we think of a couple adopting a child to bring them into the family. That's how the the child gets into the family, but. The only way you get into the family of God is through new birth, right? Through salvation. So adoption doesn't mean that's how we get into the family. Adoption refers to our position in the family. You see, the adopted child, when they come into the family, is a part of the family. They, they receive all the benefits of being a part of the family. So this is very important to understand that, that adoption means where we are in the family. Our adoption refers to our legal right as a child of God. This is good. This is so good. Meaning that since we are adopted, we receive all of the rights, 
privileges and benefits of being a child of God. Is this sinking in or are you guys just kind of like, I, I don't know. I recognize this is difficult because our mind is going other ways to other things that we've heard. But Paul is telling us this is a blessing that God wants you. And when you are in the family, you get all the benefits. You sit at the dinner table with the family. You don't get the scraps off of the ground, but you get the entire meal presented to you. You get the benefit and everything that comes with being a child. You get welcomed. Listen, I, I have experienced this with my own parents. I have experienced that when I come to my house, I'm actually wanted when I come to my parents' house. I've experienced salesmen come to my parents' house and they slam the door in their face, right? Why, what's the difference? It's because I'm their child. You're the child of God. You get to come in. You get to receive all the blessings. You get to receive the inheritance. You, we put it this way. Can I put it in this terms? We are joint heirs with Jesus Christ. Everything that Jesus has, we have as God's child. It's amazing because before we're saved, the Bible tells us we're enemies of God. And after salvation, we become His child with all of the rights, with all of the benefits of being His child. In other words, you are a child of the King. A child of the King. Okay, I'm going to say a phrase here today that I've never thought I would say in the pulpit, and that is this. I'm preaching better than you're responding. In other words, I put this on the screen for you. Paul's point here is, is this. Those of us who are in Christ have been chosen to be holy and blameless, free from the eternal condemnation of sin, and adopted into the family of God with all the rights, privileges, and benefits of being God's child. Amen. Amen. But church, I want you to get this. I really want you to get this. That is how God sees you. That's how God sees you. We're so worried of all the stuff, all the things, all the things that are there. And yes, sin separates us from the fellowship of God uh, there. But the reality is, is is that God doesn't look at us that way anymore. As a matter of fact, because we are in Christ, because of salvation, God, listen, God no longer sees you as a sinner. It's not that we don't struggle with sin, but God, when He sees you through the shed blood of Jesus Christ, doesn't see you as a sinner. The Bible doesn't consider you a sinner. You know what the Bible says you are? You are a saint. You're a saint because you are a child of the King. Paul says we can live with confidence. We can live in trusting God. We can live in serving Him because we have this position in Christ, but then it leaves us with one great responsibility, and that is this church. And we've already talked about it a little bit. 
Now, as we live our lives, we live representing our Holy Father, Holy Father, our Heavenly Father. We live as representatives. We are to look like our Father. This is one thing that I will never, ever get away from. And the more and more I see my dad age, the more and more I recognize how handsome of a man he is. Because I am the spitting image of my Father. And he's a handsome man. <laughs> but those of us who are in Christ need to also look like our Heavenly Father. We represent Him. And through that representation, we are to live and we are to speak the gospel. We are to live and we are to speak the gospel because God has others who He wants to bring into the family. And that's what we are to do. As a result of our tremendous blessings, you are to bless others by sharing with them by the way you live and giving the gospel what it, to represent our Heavenly Father. In other words, can we close with this? You have been blessed to be a blessing. You have been blessed to be a blessing. And guess what? That's the beginning. Next week, we'll see our blessings through the Lord Jesus Christ. Will you stand with me in God's house today?